Hello and welcome into another edition of the Sideline Guys powered by Gainbridge. I'm Pat Boylan alongside Jeremiah Johnson. The offseason is in full swing, which means the podcast is in full swing here. And we are thrilled to be joined by our guest this week, Kelly Kroskoff. She started her Pacers enterta- sports and entertainment career in 1999 with the Indiana Fever, was the president and general manager through 2017 before moving over as the first ever female assistant general manager on an NBA side with the Indiana Pacers, where she has been since. And Kelly, we are very appreciative you're joining us here because this is very much your on season. And, you know, it's it's funny. I was doing some of the mental math and maybe right after Donnie Walsh, I mean, in terms of years in the front office here with this organization, you're right up there. It's been a great ride and continues to be one. I mean, I, they keep me around. I'm not sure why, but it's uh, it's been great. And um, appreciate you guys having me on the famous podcast. And um, looking forward to chatting today and, and talking a little bit about our process and what's been happening here. There's a lot I want to get into, but let's just start right here in the heat of the moment. Very few people, including Jeremiah and I, have ever gotten the opportunity to sit in a draft room. It's something that you've done 20-plus times in your career. But when you have a pick like this that's so important, it's the highest pick the franchise has had in 34 years, can you give us an idea of what that draft room is like when the draft begins and you've done all your work and now it's time to sit and and watch and and see these picks come in and how much tension, how much nervousness, how much excitement? A lot of, you know, a lot of the work goes in early, obviously, you know, you're, you you understand the magnitude of picking six because it's been what was it 30 years I think since we had a single digit um, pick so it started with I tried to work the magic at the draft lottery and it didn't work so well so but at least we didn't stay at seven and didn't move back I mean there there was real fear that you know that we were going to even drop back further so um, a lot of times when you go into these ironically it happens where let's say you're the 10th pick and you you like like nine guys and then you're like oh dang are you're the sixth pick do you like this particular draft we literally had six players that we thought if we get you know any one of these six we're going to be in good shape I mean obviously you, you still rank them from there and still um you know create your your tiers and whatnot but what happens is we start really early in the college season and um you know, we didn't know you guys, if you rewind back to the season uh, of our season, the Pacers season, you know, we, there were a lot of things that, that happened as we got into the trade deadline. And then when we started figuring out, well, this could be one of those seasons where we actually might have a, have a high draft pick, which is, has not happened in, um, you know, 20 plus years. So, you know, our, our scout group that's led by Ryan Carr does a tremendous job and, and you start kind of, you know, starting with your, your big, huge list of, those players that we're starting to hone in on and it just you start kind of whittling down and getting getting leaner in your in your picks and and your selections and um he runs he does a great job with with really staying in front of you know this pool of players and you know I'm not going to go through the whole details but once you get to draft night and you're and you're getting ready to pick at six you have a pretty good idea you know who those six guys are going to be and I I think um for us it was um, you know, we had, you know, the phone's ringing. I mean, you've got, you've got the six picks, so you've got people that are interested in, in trying to get into your spot and maybe you're trying to move up one or two to see what you can do to even get better. So, you know, all of that happens in a, in a draft room and, um, it happens whether you're at six and it happens when you're at 13, you know, when we, last year, when we, when we selected Chris Duarte. So, um, some movement going on, but, but, you know, where we ended up and, and taking, Ben Matherin was was really 
you know, we, we were all standing up cheering at that moment. Just to follow up on that, as you're answering that question, I can think of all these things. Man, I would love to know this, but you said there were six players. You would, you would be happy with any of them, but you're not just in that room sitting and waiting. Yeah. Whichever one falls to us, we're okay. I'm curious, though, in the research in the days leading up, how do you project or predict who you think the people above you might pick? Is it, you know, you talk to agents and they talk to them because we read mock drafts and some of those maybe you, you know, have, lend credence mm -hmm. to and others you may, you may not even pay any attention to. But I am curious to know how you, when you're in there, are you surprised at one when well, Bang, you, you always, goes off the board? Yeah, I mean, you always know there's going to be a surprise ahead of you. I mean, I think that's kind of standard. So we always say, well, you know, this is what we, what we, based on our intelligence, right? You know, you're talking to agents, you're talking to other teams. And a lot of times agents kind of want their guys to know. When you start getting into that last 24 hours, I mean, you even have a better idea. The Bancaro pick was, you know, we felt, we felt like one of those top three might either slide Somebody might actually push down. You know, Ivy could have gone up to top three. Ivy could have been number one, could have been number two. So we, there was this mix of, you know, these are the four. We couldn't get into four. We couldn't, couldn't get into the top four. So, you know, this is really how we thought this was going to go. And um, when it's not always perfect science, but, you know, there, there was a, that group of players was selected in the top four. Benedict Matherin made a really positive impression in Indianapolis on Friday, but I know with you all he made a very positive impression maybe even in January and February, but especially during his pre-draft workout. What do you remember about that day, and uh, is it rare that someone would call and say, yeah, I want to come back and, and work out again? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you this. So we started talking about Ben, like you do, all prospects, you know, as you're getting deeper into the college season, and – um, I went out to Arizona to see him live. You know, Kevin went out to see him live. You know, all of us kind of went out at various times to see him. And when I saw him play, I, I just walked away from there. I was like, oh, my God, this guy. <laughs> I mean, we're, we'll be okay. You know, if we, if we end up drafting him, we're going to be all right. Um, there's just – there was something about his movement on the court that you could see sort of the, the ceiling. And, and when, I, when I watch players, you know, I look at kind of what they can do now um, but I also look at, you know, he is going to, you know, the, the, this projection, right, of kind of where you think he's going to go. How much better can he be? And there was something about his game that was just – that was um, – he's just getting started. And there, there's really – his ability on the court as an athlete, um, just his toughness, the way he kind of got his team together. You know, you saw, I look at all the other little intangibles – and um, he, he just had a little bit of all of those. And then when we brought him in, so now to, to fast forward to bring him, him here, um, you know, and being able to meet with him and spend time with him, um, went to dinner with him. So you started really digging into sort of who he was, what drives him. And he would tip you off with little things like, you know, um, talking about his brother, growing up with his brother, and how his brother, you know, he always wanted to beat his brother. You know, this, this competitiveness that as you know, it's real, I mean, there's something that drives all of us, and, and he, he's, he's a winner, he always wants to win, it's, it's so, it matters to him, you know, it wasn't about, I want to be an MVP, it was like, I want to win, you know, I, I just, that was what drove him, and, and competing, when you get to this level, if that's not what gets you up in the morning, it's real hard to, to be a part of a good team, because, you know, if you're only in it for yourself, 
And everybody wants to be great, okay? They're not at this level if they don't want to be great. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just that innate competitive drive that he had that started at a young age. And um, so that was a very big part of him as a, as, you know, a fit. And then certainly just on the court, how we saw him fitting with Tyrese, um, you know, off the ball, all the things that he does off the ball. That was what I wanted to ask you next as it relates to, you always hear this debate, best player available or fit. And as somebody who's far more on the outside than the inside, I've always found that discussion a little too simplistic, a little too black and white, because it's a little bit of both, isn't it? I mean, you want the best player, but you're not going to probably almost assuredly draft a, a, a true point guard. So as you're looking at a selection like this, how how do you weigh those two things amongst, you want to bring the best player in, but it's important that that best player makes sense with what you're building and at least the singular pillar you have of, of Tyrese Halliburton coming into this draft. Yeah, and it's we really feel like we got both. I mean, you, you know, you don't pick at six for just fit. You, I mean, you, you have to take the best player. And, and for us, you know, based on sort of this tier group that he was in, he was, he was definitely the best player and he was the best fit. So we, we feel like we kind of got very lucky on that piece. But um, I hear what you're saying. You know, a lot of times you're, you know, you're trying to find ways to build and that's what we're doing. We're in a building process and Tyrese Halliburton is part of that process. And, you know, adding somebody like Ben who has this ceiling that's, that's very big, um, his style of game, how he scores, how he, comes off of screens, you know, all the things that he does. He's a movement player. He was great at back cutting, coming off of, you know, down screens. I mean, he's just – he's going to just accelerate by playing with somebody like Tyrese, and that was the other part that we saw. The draft workout process has always fascinated me because it's a great opportunity for you to get a player, sometimes numeral, uh, numerous players in. You get to interview them. <laughs> get to see them on the floor. Oftentimes you're only seeing them in scenarios where – they're going by themselves. And to me, it seems like it's A, a very valuable opportunity, but also B, do you have to be careful at all to put too much weight into those? And what I'm, I guess I'm asking here is you watch a player's entire season and you scout and you watch all of them, and then you get them in here for a very short period of time where it's not always um, apples to apples in terms of what it might look like. I guess what I'm asking here is what's that draft workout process like and, and how do you know exactly the right amount of weight to put on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I always look at it like when you do a draft workout, and certainly when it's just one-on-one -on -one too, and you've been tracking on a guy the whole the whole time. You've gone to see him play live. You've watched hours and hours of synergy. You know, you've really been watching this player, how they've performed in, um, you know, big games, how they've performed when they're not particularly doing well. Um, the draft workout should support how you feel about that player, whether it's good or bad. I mean, it usually it's like if you decide after a draft workout that all of a sudden this is your guy, I mean, that's you probably haven't been following him very close. And I think our process is this is just another way to either to sort of, yes, we, this is our guy or no, okay, he's about what I thought he was going to be. And um, sometimes you see things in a draft workout, too, that you go, oh, okay, I didn't know he could do this because in their system at that, at that particular school, you know, they didn't have him in that system because everybody's going to get better. Their skill work's going to always get better based on their age. Um, but it's, it supports, typically will support sort of how you value and what you've seen all season long. Maybe the final behind-the-curtain type of question is Ben Matherin was just one of the three selections, and, and maybe that was kind of a unanimous no-brainer pick, but 
when you're picking 31 and then you have this pick at the end of the second round, but you want to move up, is it safe to say there's a lot more discussion and constructive disagreement at that time for those picks? And then how does the group, you know, it provide their input and then allow everyone to come together with one common push yeah. or idea or opinion to the person who ultimately does make the decision. Yeah. I mean, Kevin always makes a decision. Let's just be clear. <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, you know, we're his, uh, his wingman, if you will, or wing, wing people, but <clears throat> excuse me, he, um, you know, we had 30, we had what we call pick 31 targets. So there were some guys that we were targeting that we were hoping would get there. And some of them went off the board and, and Andrew happened to still be there. So, um, again, another another kid that we watched quite a bit at Gonzaga. I'll tell you what, the way he played in Chicago at pre-draft camp, and he played one game, and he got out on the floor, and he just, I mean, he made everybody better. So it's hard for a point guard, right? When you're not, when you're playing with all these guys in a in a kind of a pickup game, everybody's um, trying to score. Everybody's a lot of trying to score. <laughs> you're, you know, all the NBA teams are in the stands and he just picked apart the opposing team, it just carried himself like a pro, which is what he did at Gonzaga. Um, made everybody better. He never played with any of these guys before. So it was very impressive. And so that again, enhanced our thoughts about him. And then we brought him in. And, and so at 31, yeah, we, he was one of our targets and we were really hoping you saw what happened last year. We were searching for point guards and everybody started dropping. So um, it was, we felt very, um, very excited when he was there and he was, he was the guy that was no doubt we were going to grab and we were worried he was going to be gone. Now I want to go back to January and this morning was listening to Chad Buchanan talk with uh, Kevin and Quarry and he brought up something that I actually felt good because I felt the exact same thing. He was asked, uh, you know, when you decided during the season to maybe, you know, change the direction of the team and the franchise. And I think we talked about that at the end of the season, that that New Year's Eve game was was such a punch to the gut that I can remember walking from the court where I thought I was going to do a walk-off interview to the, the post-game show set, and I just thought, it's just one of those years. And Chad said that was the indicator to him that that maybe that group had done all it could do so the question for you is you go into a season in October you're you're hoping for health and you think you've got one thing and then in December or January to decide this is going to go a completely different direction did you have to have a lot of meetings and how did everyone come together of you know the next step forward once you decided this season you know the goals and dreams were probably not going to be accomplished I mean, you know, every every season's different. You know, your your hope. You know, first of all, you hope on good luck with health, um, and you know, your these early games matter to us. You know, you're watching to see how how are players meshing. You know, you know, are we lucky enough to stay healthy? You know, are we getting the most? I mean, you know, everybody knew we 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 kind of had that group together for a while, and um, you know, there was a there was a ceiling that we had reached, and and we felt like. At this point, you know, maybe maybe this is time to go ahead and start looking at, you know, what do we need to do next and what, where do we need to take this franchise? I mean, our job is to always, you know, make this franchise as good as we can. And sometimes those are hard decisions, you know, and sometimes they just sort of, you know, kind of smack you in the face a little bit and you, and you go, OK, this is what we need to do. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a one moment we, you know, we pivoted. It was it was a slow, evolving Okay, this is kind of what we were wondering about. We were evaluating during the season to see, you know, do we stay the course or do we just go ahead and, and try to build for the future? And, and I think that's what we ultimately got to. 
Kevin Pritchard made a comment in his press conference just after the draft saying uh, there were 23, I think he said 23 different paths we could take. And whether he's being figurative or literal, I know there were a ton of different options that you guys were looking at. And, and in terms of picking the best one, if, if there are options of potentially moving back into the first round, staying put, how do you evaluate the desire to maybe go get a player that you like, but then also try to understand whether it's worth the amount of capital equity that it's going to take to do that? Well, it starts with, you know, your, your vision for <clears throat> your future, you know, and I think for us, you know, once we made that move and we acquired Tyrese, um, you know, obviously drafted Chris last year, Isaiah Jackson, you know, we started having some, some young players that were, were kind of showing us that, you know, this is a group that maybe we can build with. And I think that was the starting, starting point. And from there, you're, you're going back to, you know, the beginning of like, okay, how do we want to build this? There are different ways, but, but you do this long enough and you know, you know, that, that price is too high. Nope, that doesn't fit our timeline. Nope, this guy's just a, it's just a dumping ground, but yet I, maybe I get an asset for, for that, you know? So you, if you stay the course of the vision of, of how excited we are about building around this young core and sort of buying into a direction, I mean, much like what Memphis did, it took them a couple of years to, to kind of reboot and start start new. And there's other teams that have done it. And we just haven't had the chance to do it here in Indiana. And I think what I've seen and, and feedback that we've seen even from fans is like, you know, we we see it. We love this. We How fun is this going to be to actually watch the growth of this young group and, and as we continue to add to it? And we're intentional about it. You know, we're, we're, we're very selective about how we how who we add, what they're about. Um, you know, obviously they have to be a great basketball player, but there's when you're putting a, you know, a group of players together that, that are feeding off of each other and all want the same thing. And Tyrese is, is a leader in that. I mean, he's the, he's all, he's involved. We're talking to him all the time. And, um, you know, we've got, we've got a, a core group that we're very excited about. If the sixth pick and those first couple draft picks coming in was maybe the most tense moment of the draft, then perhaps uh, the most involved, exciting moment might have been, at least as Kevin Pritchard describes it, right as you pick at 31 and you're trying to get back into the second round to get Kendall Brown. Uh, first of all, is it accurate that you were considering both of those players, if you are able to share that, at, at 31? Because it seemed like, as he said, once we got to 32, we were ready to go. And mm -hmm. then once you label yeah. that, I mean, can you can you try to explain to us exactly what seemed like a frenetic, hectic moment to get back into the second round? They, they were both... <laughs> they were both our 31 targets, thank you. Um, and ultimately, obviously, went as soon as we picked Andrew, we said we got to get back in. Let's let's start chasing Kendall. And and literally, you're calling. So you're starting to call every team in the four. You know, you're you're calling team 35, 36, and then they're moving around. You know, everybody's. Are they wondering what you why you're so interested? Like, how well, no, because if because if you look at go back and look at what people were doing in, in that round and how many picks moved around and you know somebody gave a future second or they gave two maybe they had a pick at 36 and 40 and now they moved up to 32 and. You know, so there was a lot of calling and a lot of movement. And then, bam, call the next one, call the next one, call the next one. We Future second. How many phones are going at one time? Like, do you, um, have, do you have a third of the teams that you call you know, and chat? I'm, I'm talking to a team. Ted's talking to a team. Right. You know, Kevin's talking to an agent or talking to a team. <laughs> so, and sometimes it's quiet, you know, and then you're waiting. And then you go to the next one. And then you hope that Kendall Brown's name's not going to be called. Um, and we just kept, kept at it until we finally got a pick where we could get out of 58. Because we kept thinking, 
you know, he's okay. If he doesn't go by 40, now we're going to, you know, we're going to start on this next group of teams. And, you know, a lot of it's, it, I always say it's almost more frenetic in that second group in that second round, because people are either moving picks or buying picks or you're packaging something yet. There's one guy that you want in that second round. And so you're offering a, a future second, you know, you're on the phone with somebody saying, I'll give you a future second and 50 to move up to 40, you know, um, those types of things happen quite a bit. And that's really ultimately how we were able to move up and, and get Kendall. This is, uh, as Pat said, this is, this is still busy season for you. And the next step in the team building process is something, to be perfectly honest, we can't really discuss a lot because free agent, the free agent period is about to begin, but you're still building a team. And so my theory question is, do you look at your group and do you say, this is the year we want to be a conference title contender? And then how does the player that if we acquire them this offseason or maybe is it someone whose contract is up, we want to make a push in the next offseason. How much does age range factor into the decision-making process? And then as a follow-up to that, even if you're a young team and you've got a lot of youngsters, you still have to have some veterans. So right. how, do you, how right. do you go about those some of those yeah. decisions? I mean, you know, we're, we're still looking to add, obviously, to, to who we just <laughs> – excuse me, to who we just drafted and then, you know, our young returning players. So – we're trying to stay on a timeline, you know, we're trying to stay on a timeline where we've got, you know, younger players, you know, maybe they're still on a rookie contract um, that can, that, that haven't had that next jump yet, but, but, you know, or somebody that we've, we've identified. I mean, we have, you know, constant lists and monitoring players quite a bit. So, um, but yeah, we're going to stay intentional about growing and, and very selective about how we're going to do this. This is not a fast track promise you know this is a slow growth hang with us go on the journey with us you know we're 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 going to build this the right way because you, you you really only get one shot at kind of where we are and so you have to be very specific about who else we're going to put around this group and I mean there's some holes in our roster so but we're not gonna we're not gonna jump at you know just anything I mean I think that you have to be very specific about who fits how do they fit positionally? How do they fit timeline? How do they fit skill-wise? And, and all the other locker room things that we've talked about that we want guys here that want to be here, that, that are hungry to win, that want to compete every night no matter what. Um, so that being said, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what the future holds. So what you're saying is if <laughs> – and I'm not going to say any names and I'm not even actually mentioning or referring to any particular player, but if you had an 8- to 10-time All-Star who's 32 years old – and he was available, you would potentially, and he was interested, you could consider, but you also have to consider the path that you're on right now and whether that one person is going to be enough to do, you know, right. ultimately what you want. Yeah, or the package that we might get to acquire him. You know, so remember, sometimes when you take on players, you're also getting something else along with that that might help you for the future. So sometimes that, yeah, that one player – could be of help as we're in this process, right? Because, you know, we're mindful of that a veteran or two is going, I mean, TJ McConnell's a veteran, you know, Buddy Hill's been in this league a long time. I mean, we've got some nice, some good veterans already, but you know, you, you still need obviously to mix in um, this, this group that, that kind of knows how to help lead the young players and keep you on track and, and those types of things. So, um, you know, th there's ways to acquire players 
<clears throat> that can help you in the short term, but that what comes with that is some long-term value as well. Two more for me, and I'll let Jeremiah close us out, and I'm going to sidetrack us a little bit, but it's something that I think is important, and I want to make sure to ask you. When I started here, you were, of course, president GM of the Fever, and I was uh, working as a play-by-play -play announcer, which I still am very fortunate to do with the Fever. Um, and even in my eight years, it's been remarkable to watch the change in terms of how many um, talented and qualified women have joined the NBA from a coach's perspective, from a front office perspective, and in numerous other roles. And as a pioneer, but also somebody that has experienced this firsthand, Jenny Busick is now part of your team. Um, what's it been like to experience it? And what's it been like just to see how much growth has happened and what I'm sure um, will continue to be the trend? It's, you know, it's been, honestly, the, the, there's so much about this, the day-to-day -day work this, that is exactly what I was doing on the WNBA side. So that in and of itself, it was joining the staff and, and going into this job per se was was not was not unfamiliar territory. What what was unfamiliar was, you know, 30 teams and 450 players and, and just the numbers of personnel that you have to know, you know, like that when you're in you're involved in personnel and you're putting teams together. You know, I, I, I know 144 women in the WNBA, but I had to learn 450 guys in the league, you know, that, that very quickly. Um, but in general, you know, I, I think f for me and, and talking to a lot of the players, I tell you what, a, most of these players were either raised by their mothers who played <laughs> in the WNBA that I probably tried to sign um, or, or have sisters that played professionally or played college ball. So we have this generation that they're just like, you know your game, you know the game, you know what we need. They don't, it's, it's genderless. You know, it's, it's building basketball teams is just you, you just you need to know your stuff like the guy standing next to you and I think that's where you know what the WNBA has done for me is my training ground was the WNBA Donnie Walsh was my mentor you know um, Larry Bird you know I, I have a lot of guys that were across the hall on the Pacers side that <clears throat> I'd run something by them and I'm like what do you think about this and they're like well you know the players but yeah, I would do this or I would. and I mean so it was a lot of it just obviously smaller numbers and different different contracts hard salary cap but I talked to a lot of the agents and negotiated deals you know in, in different levels that are the exact same work so it's been a lot of fun and, and I love seeing you know coaches like Jenny you know Jenny was a great player in the in our league um, she was a great player in college she knows the game the guys really respect her and again it goes back to how much can you how much value do you add as a basketball mind and as a basketball coach or whatever your um, emphasis is and your your specific expertise is and and I think we'll continue to see those doors and you want the best people right and and I think that's where if you have the the background and the expertise to to add to our staff then then it's you know it's wide open it's a terrific perspective, and we appreciate you sharing it. Uh, final Pacers-related thought from me. It seems like if there's one word to describe the change that this team has undergone over the last year and, and even really less time than that is uh, it's dynamism, a dynamic um, change in terms of the playmaker that you have. And this is something that Rick Carlisle brought up. Uh, but when you think about Tyrese Halliburton, when you think about Isaiah Jackson, uh, Chris Duarte, Ben Matherin, the group you brought in, I, I mean, in terms of a dynamic, dynamic playmaking perspective, there are other guys I, I left out here. The list is long. How have you seen that change? How important has that change been? And how much is that a part of what you're going to keep building here? It, it's everything. I mean, I, you look at the game today, you look at the game that we're watching, and, and I think, um, 
you know, what, what Tyrese does for everybody else on the floor is he, he just, he wants to make everybody better. And when you have a, when you're starting with that as your, as your basis, you have a point guard that looks to get everybody involved and truly loves to win and compete and cares about it. You know, he, he cares deeply about it. It's, 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 um, he's so unselfish in that way. Um, but that's, yeah, the, it, we've just, we raised the, we raised the energy level. And I, and I think that's one of the things that we felt like we needed to do is we needed to get, you know, we needed to get a little bit more athletic. We needed to get a little bit more up tempo. We needed to, you know, we've got to get out and defend a little bit. And, and so those are all comes with fresh legs and, you know, um, young dynamic athletes. Did you feel a sense of relief, pride after the draft? And then how long does it take to get back to work? Because it almost felt like on that press release, Kevin Pritchard was welcoming Ben Matherin and then reminding everyone and all the fan base, there are still moves that can be made. And then you also will go to summer league after the free agent period. Right. And we're, you know, we're, um, we're in that, in that mode now. So, you know, once the draft is, has concluded, you know, you're excited and you're, you know, we were very excited that night. And I don't think any of us left till like 1.30 in the morning. Actually, probably even later. I think some of the guys stayed later because we were filling up, you know, Exhibit yeah, 10s. Second round. Summer League. Almost till one. Yeah. It felt I like. mean, it was like, well, we had Summer League, you know, uh, roster. So we love our Summer League roster, by the way. Um, but yeah, now you go to Summer League and, and that's when you get to watch other young players and guys that are trying to get on rosters. And um, so we, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and I think the next day we were like, okay, we got through that and we came out really good. <laughs> I mean, we're really happy. Um, and now you're just, you, you flip over into, you know, onto the next thing. This is, you know, this is our on season. Honestly, this is, you know, you, you spend the, you spend the actual season where all the fans are watching the games and we're evaluating. I mean, I used to say to our players all the time, they would, when I was with the fever, they were like, oh, KK, you came to watch us play, you know, came to games, and I'm like, I'm watching the other team's players. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean you're, I'm always evaluating players. You know, I'm not just watching us. I'm watching, you know, other teams that I've, that I'm looking at players all the time, constantly. Uh -huh. And so that's what you do. You know, you're at summer league. You're constantly watching players. You know, and I've got some in my mind that I want to see, and and so that's the next phase, and it's exciting, and I think fans should be really, really hyped about this particular spot where we are right now and where we're headed um we, we're very we're very excited about it i want to end with a personal question we thank you for having us in your office and i'm kind of yeah. looking around yeah. and just to to paint a visual picture for those listening it's not one where all of the walls are covered but there are some things that are really important to you and you see the uh 2012 championship picture uh, maybe when you were introduced uh, yeah. as the assistant GM of, of the Pacers, that's, and th that looks like—is it the 2017-18 team? That's the 20. The that's the 2018 team. That was my very first day. Which is also yeah. many of our favorite teams. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Maybe yeah. a, a goal to, yeah. as you're building again yeah. some of those qualities. Yes. And then you see 20 years, and I. So yeah. how many years now are you with the organization? This is 23. This so is what? 23. I, so we see a Texas A&M yeah. um, picture over there as well. It all comes together in the yeah. fact that you came here 23 years ago and you never left. And now as you try to, whether it's convince free agents or make people feel home and welcome here that you draft, um, how much do you love living here and working for this organization in this basketball state? Uh, you've never left. I know. I, you're, you're exactly right. And my family has given up. They're like, you're not coming back, are you? Um, I, I tell you, I was actually, an agent um, asked me that just recently. We're one of the guys, and 
He goes, you've been, you know, so you've been here all this time. And I was like, yeah, I, I actually, I thought, oh, I'm going to come here for a couple of years. I'm going to put this team together and then I'm going to move on and do something else. And, but I, the first and foremost was the first thing that I was told when I came here was that you're, you will love the people with the Pacers, number one. And that has held true to this day. Number two, when you have great ownership, you know, our, the guy at the highest level, that, that the reason we come to work every day is because of Herb Simon and the Simon family. Um, there's not a better, o- better owner. I mean, there's just not, he, he's just, he's a, he's tremendous person, human being. And, um, you know, he pushes us to be the best we can be. And I've had a lot of opportunities here. I was driven when I started the fever, I told Rick Fusen and Donnie Walsh, I said, I'm going to win a championship. I'm going to put a banner in this new building. Cause I stood on the dirt floor and I looked up at the ceiling and I said, I'm going to put a banner up there. And Rick goes, you know, they're all like, oh, yeah, little girl, <laughs> whatever, whatever. Okay. And I was like, I, and I, it almost killed me. I was like, we need, we should have three up there, but we have one, but we went to the finals a couple of times and, you know, and I wanted to get our organization in a good spot. You know, I mean, I, I worked every year, like it might be my last, you know, I didn't know what the future was going to be for the WNBA. And then when Kevin asked me to join, you know, his staff, I hadn't thought about it, you know, and, and the, look, basketball, this is, this is my game. I mean, I love this game. I, I could, I'm, I'm crazy. My mother used to say, do you ever get tired of watching basketball? I'm like, no, I don't. I know that's sick. I know it sounds sad, but it's, but it's part of me, you know, and I think when you work in this business long enough, um, you know, it's what, what's great about the business is that it changes. You guys know this, it changes daily, right? We don't know. One day we're saying, well, we're going to go, maybe we're going to get this guy or we're going to drop and all of a sudden that changes the next day it's something else happens and and so um what i love about it is we're building you know a group of people whether it's was for the fever you know i watched women achieve the highest level and now i'm on the guy side and and get to watch how these 22 year olds accomplish something that maybe they never thought they could accomplish you know when our team won the title in 2012 i i've never seen it was like they were little children again it was like they did something that maybe they wanted to do but they didn't really know if they could and when it finally happens and you do that like I want to see that happen for the Pacers I want I want to see this group of young people that were handpicking and I handpicked my teams to put around Tamika Catchings I was not looking for just anybody and you had to fit and you had to be good and you better be as freaking driven and hungry as she was and so you know, Tyrese is that kind of guy, you know, he's driven, he's about the team, he wants to win. And we're going to handpick and we're going to find the right people and the right types of players to put around him. And that's, that's what drives me is I I love that part. And, you know, I'm going to help Kevin and Chad and, you know, do do is the best job we can do so that we can make her proud and the city proud. And, um, but the people have been a huge part, you know, I mean, every, everybody that I've worked with here, um, look, we spend our lives together a lot. You better like who you work with <laughs> and you better really like, you know, the, the city embraced me, you know, my neighbors that I moved into next door to me 23 years ago are still friends to this day. I watch their kids grow up. I mean, it, it's like all of those things. And I feel Jim Morris told me I'm a Hoosier now. I'm adopted, so I can't. But I keep my Texas A&M sign. Just, just you know, it reminds me of my roots. Because yeah. that's where it all started as a scholarship athlete at Texas A&M. If I hadn't had that, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Well, Kelly, this podcast lends itself to the diehard Pacers fan. I, th- I think you're giving a lot of diehard Pacers fans some goosebumps right now hearing you say all that. Good, good. Well, we're stay with us because, you know, we're not – 
this is going to take patience, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we very much appreciate it. This is very much your on season. In fact, we are right in the heart of it. So your time is valuable. We appreciate very much your time and your perspective. And best of luck here as this build continues. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. That's Sideline Guys powered by Gainbridge with Kelly Kroskoff. We will be back here soon with more coverage of the Pacers offseason. For Jeremiah Johnson, I'm Pat. Thanks to Kelly. We will talk to you soon.